0: We need more psychology. We need more understanding of human nature, because the only real danger that exists is man himself. He is the great danger, and we are pitifully unaware of it.
1: if someone had said to you in december that by april millions of people all over the world would be infected with a mysterious new virus that has no vaccine you'd think they were talking about a hollywood script it's happened so fast it almost doesn't seem real
0: breaking developments in the
2: coronavirus pandemic The death toll rising in the US, more than 60 dead.
1: Doctors on the front lines in Italy with an ominous warning tonight, calling this the apocalypse and telling the world to get ready. Well, most of us have never lived through anything like this.
0: No one is immune to the COVID-19 virus. It threatens all of us. Now imagine a world where mass outbreaks of deadly diseases are commonplace. Well, it sounds scary, but that might not be too far off. The World Health Organization has warned in a BBC interview that we're entering a new phase where such a reality is, quote, a new
3: normal. As the coronavirus pandemic brings life across the country to a grinding halt, Americans are facing a new normal. It is a new normal that we all have to get used to.
4: I know a big question, Tom, from a lot of New Yorkers. When might we ever get back to normal? Uh, The Mm. governor talked today about working toward a new normal.
1: So
5: we're going to a different place, which is a new normal. This morning, almost 40 million Californians waking up to a new normal: social distancing at schools
6: and businesses.
5: You may be having dinner uh, with a waiter wearing gloves, maybe a face mask. Uh, Dinner where the menu is disposable, where your temperature is checked before you walk in. A new normal that
0: will hopefully allow America to reopen.
3: Looking forward into this next phase of reopening and. Establishing some kind of new normal. Embrace the new normals of social distancing and sheltering in place, all the physical isolation.
4: Now masks are becoming the new normal. What do you think? Can schools operate under social distancing guidelines? And is that what they're going to potentially have to do as the new normal? When we get out of the
1: sort of new normal and get to a new new normal. Just trying to cope with the new normal.
0: This is the new normal.
2: Imagining and reimagining what society is going to look like when they reopen. If you want to go to a restaurant, you're going to have your temperature taken before
0: you're allowed inside uh, to dine. So that's just possibly going to be the new normal that we see down the road. Adjust our lives and get ready for the new normal. This new normal is going to look very, very different.
6: A stepwise return to not normal, but a new normal.
0: Long lines for food becoming a new normal. The communities return to normal, or the new normal, on what that may be.
4: The coronavirus pandemic has meant not only online classes, but having to watch their job and internship offers go down the drain. So what is the new normal like for the class of COVID-19?
1: there will be a new normal. We just don't know what that new normal is yet. So a return to normal as we knew it is not on the cards in the near future and it is really important that I am up front with you right now about that. What we will be seeking to do is find a new normal.
5: Get out of the lockdown and return to what we'll by the way, be a new normal. It's not going to be the normal we experienced before the, the virus took hold. Can I say this has become, this is likely to be the new
6: normal. We will be having to live in a, a new normal, as we were trying to
0: say with this virus.
6: We, we keep talking about this is the new normal. I'm just curious, when can we expect life to go back to the true normal? You know, when is this expected to peak? Do you guys have some sort of timeline or estimate in mind? or
7: So...
4: I have repeatedly said, this is our new normal.
1: If we are going to be able to, to move ahead into our new normal, we will find our new
8: normal in the coming weeks.
3: To make sure that we can do everything we can to flatten the curve, so that we can return, not to the old normal, but to a new normal that allows us to function more uh, and more openly as a, as a society. We can continue to improve Uh, how we uh, work and play in this new normal. All of us should be able to name all the people we've been in close contact with over the last two weeks as a new normal. Get New Brunswick back to uh, the new normal.
4: Because that really is gonna be part of our new normal moving forward. So these are all elements of our new normal.
5: We will transition into the new normal. What we consider normal before COVID-19 is still a long way from returning. Our lives are changing and about to change. In a very
3: significant way. But the thing that we called normal, our old normal, was just the new normal for people who are older than us. And this new normal that we, it's so shocking for all of us, is just the normal of future generations. I don't mean future generations 50 years from now, I mean people who are born
0: five years from now.
4: The best hope of
0: getting back to normal as soon
4: as possible is never getting ahead of where we are right now.
3: So it's not going to be returned to normal. People will have to realize this is not going to go away anytime soon. uh, And we're gonna have to keep this up. If you think that this is going to be going back to normal in July, think again.
5: This will be the new normal until a vaccine is developed. What it's gonna take for all of us to be able to return to
6: normal. The only thing that will really allow life as we once knew it to resume
0: is a vaccine.
3: It won't go back to normal in some very rapid fashion.
0: Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates has continued the fight against coronavirus, investing billions of dollars on the construction of factories working to develop a COVID-19 vaccine.
3: Uh, And it won't be normal until we get an amazing vaccine uh, to the entire world.
5: And I know that we are all eager to get back to work and get back to normal but the reality is we have to remember that until we find a vaccine for this terrible virus until we have that vaccine letting our guard down means potentially exposing millions of our people to the virus the hard fact is until we find a vaccine going back to normal means putting lives at risk
3: it's until we get almost everybody vaccinated uh, globally, we still won't be fully back to normal. Um, It means zero tolerance. So every time we see a case, we basically pounce on it. We do
4: everything we can then to shut it down and to eliminate it when it arises. And we will have to keep doing that on an ongoing basis. And yes, until a vaccine arises.
3: You know, it's so important to get not just hundreds of millions, but literally billions of those vaccines because this is a global problem. We can anticipate that we will continue like this for some time until an effective vaccine
5: is widely available.
3: We really, we want to get into this semi-normal phase as soon as we can. And then uh, the vaccine is the thing that that will change things.
5: I think even after we're through this first wave, uh, we will need to remain vigilant and we will need to bring in different measures. Uh, Normality, as it was before, uh, will not come back full on until we get a vaccine for this. And as you say, that uh, could be a very long way off.
3: So March 2017 in the White House, in both of those two meetings, he asked me if vaccines weren't a bad thing because he was considering a commission to look into uh, ill effects of vaccines. And, And somebody, his name is Robert Kennedy Jr., was advising him that vaccines were causing bad things. And I said, no, that's a dead end. That would be a bad thing. Don't do that. Like, large public gatherings may not resume until broad vaccination has taken place. The way we go back to the way
5: we were before is going to take time. We won't be completely safe until we have a vaccine. Into whatever semblance of normalcy uh, the new normal will provide over the course of the next few months as we all look forward to the moment uh, where we have herd immunity and or a vaccine.
3: The problem many school administrators have is that they can't give a guarantee to parents right now that their kids would be safe going back into the classroom. And until there's a vaccine and testing, they're making plans instead to continue remote learning.
8: All of this while the world awaits a vaccine and faces the reality that even with one, our lives will never be the same. Legislative amendments that would make vaccinations mandatory for public school students unless they
1: have a medical exemption. Religious and philosophical exemptions would no longer be allowed. A lot of it depends on having a vaccine and that's what's going to protect us the most we need to start
4: thinking about what our new normal will look like over the coming months. With no vaccine for this virus likely to be available for a year or more to protect the population, we need to protect each other.
3: This could easily go on a couple of years waxing and waning. Dr. Peter Hotez is a vaccine scientist at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. He believes governments need a strategy for how daily life will operate for the next two years. Yes, two years. That's the length of time it could take to develop, test and distribute a vaccine once the surge in cases is over. Dr Ali Mukdad worked to develop the pandemic models used by the White House. So until we have
6: a vaccine, our definition of normal should be totally different to what normal is.
3: Almost every expert agrees a vaccine is the fastest, safest way to get our world back, even if it means a year or more of waiting. Until that happens, we're stuck in a cat and mouse game with something that can't be seen or detected until it's too late. The thing that'll get us back to the world that we had before coronavirus is the vaccine and getting that out to all seven billion people. Well, I think everyone's life is completely disrupted. You know, your normal pattern of you know, go to meetings, uh, you know, watch sports events, this thing uh you know, in, in my lifetime, this is the most dramatic thing. I still find it it shocking how how tough it tough it is uh, and how hard it's going to be to get back uh, to the normal life that we had before.
0: Do you think things will go back to normal
5: or is that all changed?
3: No, the once you have a safe and effective vaccine and get that out, to almost all of the people on the planet uh, and build the preparatory systems for the next pandemic uh, so you can nip it in the bud we will go back to normal and economies will recover
6: in the long run the exit from this is going to be one of two things ideally one of which is a highly effective vaccine and there are a variety of ways vaccines can be deployed uh, they can be deployed for damping down epidemics they can be deployed to protect vulnerable people
8: we're living very, very different lives until there's a vaccine. However, this doesn't mean we will go back to normal.
5: Uh, we are not going to be back to normal until we have a vaccine. Um, that's, uh, I've I just got to be straight with the people of
0: Idaho. Because the virus in one form or another will be with us for, for a long time until there's a vaccine, um, at least. The coronavirus. What we want to do is be able to prevent the disease. And the way to do that is through a vaccination. Now until we have a COVID-19 vaccine, workplaces are going to look much different. The
3: virus still remains and will remain until doctors and medical experts find an approved treatment and develop a vaccine.
0: If folks get out of this finally one day and we begin to open things up, or then finally get to a place where the vaccine and completely open up. There will be
3: uh, no normalcy as we knew it. knew it in the past until we have a vaccine or herd immunity. The vaccine is is critical because until you have that, things aren't really going to be normal. They can open up to some degree, but the risk of a rebound will be there until we have very broad vaccination.
8: I, I talked to Bill Gates the other day, and, and he was saying that it could be June before anybody is having any sense of normalcy. And, and I don't even know what normalcy means. I mean, normalcy, yeah. is we're not going to be normal again for a long time.
5: No, we're not. Not until we have herd immunity or vaccine. I mean, here's what the new normal may look like. Every establishment you go to, you've got a mask on, your temperature is taken. Uh, when you walk into that establishment, uh, it has half the number uh, of uh, aisles that it used to have if it's a restaurant or a bar half as many seats than it used to have your waiter may come over with gloves uh, you may have a menu that's disposable uh, there is nothing normal about that until we get the kind of therapeutics and ultimately
3: get to the herd immunity i'm struck bill by when you were talking about the phases the semi-normal phase that you spoke of mm-hmm. that sounded like months and months of that if, if a vaccine is still not until 2021 that's that's many, many months of um, this new normal. That's right. It's uh, almost certainly over a year where large public gatherings likely won't be taking place. We're likely to be using masks. Even in restaurants, there'll be some degree of spacing. If we
7: do not have a vaccine, can I sit next to somebody in a movie theater? Can I go to a basketball
4: game?
6: It depends whether the virus is spreading in your community. If it is, no basketball games, no way.
1: The Prime Minister has said previously that he doesn't think Canada will be able to return to full normalcy until there is a vaccine. On the issue of the vaccine, which you've said in the past could take a year to 18 months, will we have to wait for a vaccine to hug our family and friends who are outside of our bubble?
2: Eh, I'm not too sure about that. He didn't know how to answer that. Welcome to the TylerBloyer.com live streaming show. Uh, Today is November, wait, no, February, (laughs) February 6th. I think I was crossing wires with something I was looking at earlier, 2021. And uh, this show is called Bio Psywar. And we're going through the purpose and scope today. Uh, We're going to be covering a lot of ground. And I do have a a hard stop today for some uh activities that are going on here at my house. There'll be some people coming by, so I'm going to get through as much of this as I can. And uh as discussed in the last episode, uh total Psyop awareness. We will be kind of staying in this vein uh for now and going over uh the ongoing uh what now, you know, can be more clearly described as a PSYOP and uncovering the documents and source materials to see why uh, i've come to that conclusion not that it's a finalized thing i'm very open-minded to discovering more information as we all learn together i'm probably behind in a lot of ways uh, for some people so another idea with the show and in this series is to just get some things out there documented uh, have them laid down in the archive and then be able to go back and reference that in the future and have other people uh, who maybe haven't heard of this material have a way to go through the material without having to go and look up all the documents by themselves, not that you shouldn't go and take a look at the documents that we'll be sharing in the source notes and follow up on a lot of the research material that I'll be covering today. Uh, so again, you know, welcome to the live stream, thank you. We do these shows live to Uh, make it so I can stay somewhat consistent with laying the show down uh, to be able to interact and engage with people. There's a Discord server where I have it set up so you can listen to audio only, and uh, I could also facilitate questions through there. Uh, Feel free to jump on any of the places that it's live streaming out, uh, Float, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, DLive. You can make a comment, and I will try with all the little bells and whistle things I have going on, Uh, to see that, and uh, if it's relevant and needs to be addressed, I can address it live on the show. There's also a way to support the show through Streamlabs, and I do use uh, Streamlabs OBS here, so you'll be able to go to that link in the description and provide a tip to the show if you'd like to help keep the game going with uh, what we got going over here at TylerBlair.com. I have invested in a new computer that is still not quite finalized yet for those that are looking for an update on that project. The new computer is not to replace this setup, but to be in addition to, so I can make a two live stream setup. One computer can be more production oriented during the week when I'm kind of doing my work activities on this setup. And anyway, it'll just create a, a better flow. But that computer, I'm having issues with it. It's not a challenge that I'm not up for and not something I can't solve. But uh, as you can maybe get a glimpse of the innards, some of the innards of it here uh, down there behind the desk. Uh, there's a lot of wires. You actually can't see that computer in, on the desk there. I thought maybe you'd be able to get a glimpse of it from that view, but, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, keep you up to date for all the nerds out there. Uh, I, I think what it is is I, for some reason, it seems like I need a video card to boot this motherboard, even though it does have integrated video, it's possible that the CPU I bought maybe is not compatible or something with like that. And so, I think that's the hurdle I'm having, and so it's just, it is it is somewhat of a a pain because I've spent quite a bit of time sourcing the parts and things and didn't realize that, but I, after looking at a few forums, that seems to be the issue. Anyway, so yeah, there's uh, also the studio cam there. When I have a live studio guest, you'll be able to see uh, more of them over there, and then we'll have another desk, and they can sit over there, and they can plug into the mixer that I have, and then we'll have an in-studio guest possibility uh, potential in the future of the com live streaming show all right so let's get into a little bit of the housekeeping today again this is a continuation really of the previous shows that we've done on getting ready for human 2.0 uh was done back in december 20th of 2020 and we're talking a lot about there about <laughs> transhumanism <clears throat> will the new COVID vaccine make you transhuman, um, talking about DARPA and how they're getting in there with the funding and sneaking things in with the MRNA vaccine from Moderna and how operation warp speed, uh, was involved. uh, Trump was involved with getting that going, but also just, you know, that he's playing right in right along with the military industrial complex, as far as the research and funding and their plans to get you, uh, closer to a transhumanist future and then it continued in the series talking more about darpa and the pentagon and the different technologies that they've been investing in this was more in regards to social media um but as we can start to see all these threads start to tie in and so that's another part of the show that we'll hope to do is be able to relate some of the threads and show how things tie in that might seem completely separate and not connected uh I have Tammy Watkins, first time watcher chatting. Hello Tammy. Uh probably have a lot of first time watchers. Uh this week we did go again live on the One Great Work network. Now I can talk about it so I'll bring it up here. Uh basically this is Mark Passio's project to bring together content creators uh who can talk about truth, freedom, uh living under natural law, uh, no masters, no slaves. The word they use for that is anarchy. I don't have a problem with that, but I have gone into the past from uh, falling into the movement traps. Uh, the issues I do have with labels and that particular label, although I do understand the way that Mark describes it and agree that we should live, uh, we have no we have no right to rule over others, and uh, we also should. Uh, attempt to align our behaviors with the laws of nature and live under those laws i feel like the second part of that is all that needs to be said um, because that would also include the first part and the first part is problematic enough in history and uh, the way that it's colloquially perceived Uh, but anyway here's some of the creators on there and again yeah there might be some people finding my work from the site and that's cool so if that's you that's awesome i've made some new friends i think we'll be uh reaching out to some of these people and checking out their work as time goes on too i really appreciate mark for even uh giving me the chance to be on the network and uh i've you know helped out a lot with the back end but wouldn't expect you know that any favors to be done so i feel like uh my interview with bill church is really what kind of got that going and Bill church if you go back in my archives back uh in Three or four years ago, I had an interview with him when I was doing the Liberty Lifestyle podcast. So anyway, that's a little bit of that. Like I said, today's a limited amount of time, so I'm going to kind of start speeding up here. Another reference that I would check out in regards to today's show materials is, of course, the Grand Theft World podcast, and specifically episode number seven, the Cyber Panopticon. And uh, in that episode, Richard went through and read a lot of documents that uh, connect back some of the source materials and things that we'll be talking about today. I think we, there's even some overlap in the documents, but we went through how uh, the WHO changed the meaning of a pandemic and uh, also how there was a lot of gain of function research uh, being done with MERS and SARS-CoV-1 and uh, how that connects into the current ongoing plague and uh, actually goes in and pulls out a lot of the documents, uh, How Dezak's uh, Eco Health Alliance um, talks about the natural orin- origins of SARS-CoV-2, even though it's a chimera virus uh, created in a lab, and that is becoming more of a common understanding. And people may just need some context on why that would be. And so today, we're, we're really just going to go into into depth on more of the psychological operations that we went into last week, and then connecting that into how this uh, ongoing uh, covid operation is also a psychological operation mixed with real world things that are going on it's not all like it's that doesn't mean it's not real it doesn't mean it's uh, not something that's going on it just means that there's a multifaceted thing here that we're looking at that needs to be looked at from a lot of different angles like uh, rubik's cube um, you know very uh periscopic or what's the word uh it's uh You know, has multifaceted ways to look at this thing. Uh, And uh, somebody in the chat can help me out. Uh, Yes, that's right in line with my research. She doesn't like labels either, says Tammy. Thank you very much, Tammy. Um, I oftentimes don't check chats. I'm happening to look at one right now as I glance over. And I do appreciate people that watch and comment live. Although, I also have to be careful not to get distracted. So lucky for me, not a lot of people watch my show live. (laughs) Uh, like i said like i was saying last week um you know well one of the things just real quick is the grand theft world podcast is an extreme uh it, well what i want to say is that i'm very happy to be working on that and uh proud of the crew and richard and the work that he's done over the years as well and just really um um elated to be working with him on a project to continue the work that he has done through the past into the future and make it video style and also has helped me to continue with what i'm doing and reinvigorate the work that i do and uh anyway so with that said i feel like i'm just really starting out here i i wanted to get some successful productions under my belt and kind of continue on the path to be able to not to feel more like a legit you know content creator and uh as far as those doors i feel like they're just opening and i'm just starting to get into the idea of what i would like to do with the content And, uh, today I think you're going to get a glimpse of that and the style that is not going to be so much about me, but more or less laying down the research as it's coming out, just as a, another archiver, which is kind of one of my roles that I, that I see myself as is just a, an internet and information archiver. And, uh, again, even with that still really just getting started with those projects. All right now, okay. We're going to save that one for later. Press the wrong button there. Let's go to this one. Oh. Press the wrong button again. All right, let's see if we can figure out which button we're supposed to press. <laughs> uh, resources for today's episode. Let's close out these as we go so we can make more room. Uh, Spitfire list. Dave Emery. Now, this man has put out a tremendous amount of work over the years. And what you can do is I'll share this particular archive view like this in the show notes. And I would suggest, for those that are interested to follow up on any of the stuff that we've been talking about today, or the uh, uh, COVID-19 thing, and the cyber pandemic, and the bio bio-psy-op, uh, biopsyop apocalypse is what David calls it. And so I went with bio-psy-war uh, for a potential like mini-series on going into some of the information that he's covering, going over not just what he's covering, but Contextually, I think this is the best place for somebody to go next if they were to be like, I'm hungry and I want a lot more information. So I'm just taking note to put this particular link in the show notes. The Dave Emery archives. And you can go back to the beginning of 2020 and start getting really good information about um, the different military aspects of the funding of this uh, bioterrorism event that we're living through now. And uh, episode one nineteen and one twenty, I feel like would be a good place to start, so I'll link that in the show notes as well. And you can go through and Dave does a good job at archiving and resourcing all the stuff that he's reading and talking about. And um, he's still going at it, still kicking, and uh, somebody who's definitely worth checking out. Now, another article that's definitely worth checking out in regards to today's topic would be traveling or no that's not the name of the article bats gene editing and bioweapons recent darpa experiments raise concerns amidst coronavirus coronavirus outbreak is the headline and this is from whitney webb from last american vagabond and this was posted on january 30th 2020 and uh dave emery i think in that articles or episode 29 uh, 1119 and 1120 goes over this article as well so it's also good to have here in the source materials let's just read through the conclusion really quick and uh, then we'll move on and leave that one in the show notes but uh, something that's definitely worth looking into if i can pull that in Okay, again, reading from Whitney Webb's article over from the Unlimited Hangout podcast. You can find her on Rockfin and create a free account and watch her materials. And also she writes for The Last American Vagabond. I think there's even like a WhitneyWebb.com. Excellent researcher, uh, very well sourced and uh, factual evidence that you can go look into for yourself. And also absolutely terrifying, <laughs> some of the information. Um, all right, let's just do a little... Okay, reading from the article. Her conclusion. Research conducted by the Pentagon and DARPA specifically has continually raised concerns not just in the field of bioweapons and biotechnology, but also in the field of nanotechnology, robotics, and several others. DARPA, for instance, has been developing a series of unsettling research projects that range from microchips that can create and delete memories from the human brain to voting machine software that has that is rife with problems now as fear regarding the current coronavirus outbreak outbreak begins to peak companies with direct ties to darpa have been tasked with developing its vaccine the long-term human and environmental impacts of which are known and will remain un, are unknown and will remain unknown by the time the vaccine is expected to go to market in a few weeks time Uh, Again, this article was written in 2020, just to clarify, uh, January 20th of 2020, so I'm not sure if there was some kind of expedited expectation of vaccines hitting the market then, or what she means there. Uh, Furthermore, DARPA and the Pentagon's past history with bioweapons and their more recent experiments on genetic alterations and extinction technologies, as well as bats and coronas viruses in proximity to China have largely been left out of the narrative despite the information being publicly available. Also left out of the media narrative have been the ties to both USA MR IID and DARPA partnered Duke university uh, partnered to the Duke university, to the city of Wuhan, including the Institute of medical virology. Let's just read that last part again. Uh, Despite the information being publicly available, Also left out of the media narrative have been the direct ties to both U.S. Imrad, Imrid, I think is how you say it, and DARPA, a partner Duke University to the city of Wuhan, including the Institution of Medical Virology. The last paragraph here, through much about the origins of the coronavirus, or sorry, though, let's see how this looks full screen. If I do it like that, doing it live, it up there and that's okay. Though much about the origins uh, origins of the coronavirus outbreak remain unknown, the U.S. military ties to the aforementioned research studies and research institutions are worth detailing as such research while justified in the name of national security. How many things have, have you heard justified in the name of national security? And we'll find out some more things like that today that are done to the population in the name of defense and security. Has... The frightening, ha- this research has the frightening potential to result in unattend- unintended yet world altering consequences. The lack of transparency about the research su- such as DARPA's de- decisions to classify its controversial genetic extinction research and the technology use and the technology's use as a weapon of war compounds these concerns. While it is important to avoid reckless suspicion as it much as possible. It is the opinion of the author that the information in this report is in the public interest and that the readers should use the information to reach their own conclusions about topics discussed therein. On herein. Very good advice from Whitney Webb, and I agree with that. And I would recommend going and reading through that article, uh, archiving it, opening up the links that she laces in throughout and starting from there as a good point maybe while while checking out those podcasts eleven, nineteen, and 11 20 from david amory okay now as we do usually in the show we must pull a correction corrections i need like a little animated thing corrections okay that takes me out of the picture Uh, PSYOP isn't necessarily the word that the military uses anymore to describe their operations, and they went with a a different word, and, uh, we have NPR here. Let me get my NPR voice going to tell you about this latest news nice and softly. Uh, you know, similar to how, like, the Department of War became the Department of Defense, or how the Patriot Act became the Freedom Act, and all these different other Orwellian things that go on, uh, changing the language, changing the name. I think how the the who changed the definition of what a pandemic is. So let's read here. Uh, The Department of Defense has declared that the psychological operation, PSYOPs, doesn't have a positive connotation. Oh, really? Upon hearing the terms, Americans are likely to think of the General's Daughter or Apocalypse Now, or the Men Who Stare at Goats. So they've rebranded. It's important to keep your military, you know, PR on point. From here on out, the units comprise Military Information Support Operations, or MISO. The Atlantic Mark M. Binder obtained a copy of the internal Pentagon email from Rosa Brooks. So I clicked that. Let's see. I think, is this the Atlantic article? Yeah. And you can actually go read the email, apparently. I mean, it's pasted in here. Who knows if it's totally legit. And uh, she goes over why she'd like to change the name Uh, Rosa Brooks here, the Secretary Advisor to the Un-Secretary of Defense for Policy and Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Defense for Rule of Law, International Humanitarian Policy. So they had a PR problem. They had to change it to MISO. Uh, You can read the Atlantic article here, and uh, let's just go ahead and read that into the record. It says, below, an internal Pentagon email from Rosa Brooks, senior advisor to the under Secretary of Defense for Policy and Deputy Assistance, Secretary of Defense for Rule of Law and International Humanitarian Policy, explained in her senior Pentagon officials that the Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates, had signed off. ...on an effort to reduce the stigma of psychological operations, or PSYOPs, by changing the name to Military Information Support Operations, or MISO. The email was obtained by a source who supports the name change. Window dressing? Yes, but it's a start. According to the official Pentagon policy, PSYOPs are planned operations to convey selected information and indicators to foreign audiences... ...to influence their emotions, motives, objectives, reasoning, and ultimately the behavior of foreign governments, organizations, groups, and individuals... That sound sounds a bit sinister, so, and so does PsyOps, which, which is why Admiral Eric Olson, the commander-in-chief of the Special Operations Command, decided that he wanted to change the name. Some PsyOps are tricky and controversial, and most are benign. The post-earthquake radio broadcasts the U.S. military orchestrated in Haiti telling people where they could get food were technically PsyOps, as the posters and the radio ads in Iraq informing citizens that they could come across any IEDs that they call certain telephone numbers and report it. Among other, PSYOPs considered was a halfway change. On the battlefield, PSYOPs would remain PSYOPs. In other settings, however, like in outreach to the Muslim world, it's called a MISO. That strategy was abandoned in favor of the full name change. The word having leaked about the, okay, so anyways, it goes in there and uh, then the email that you can read. And we have a lot more things to read today, so I'm going to leave that there for now. But just thought that was interesting that, you know, a PR change, we had to get a better name to make people feel better about our operations. And then there's more official documentation I found on the same thing, kind of going over the same problem public relations issue and then as promised in the last uh last episode on uh psyops we went and watched the psywar documentary and it opened up and i said well maybe i should go download the u.s army field manual 33 because it said PSYOP, psychological operation, any form of communication in support of objectives designed to influence the opinions, emotions, attitudes, or behaviors of any group in order to benefit the sponsor, either directly or indirectly. And uh, that's on BitChute. It's also in the show notes. But as promised, I went and I dug up that field operations manual, and I actually printed it out, but I found all these other field manuals as well, Uh, some very interesting things in here on archive.org that you can go and read about. A lot of this stuff is most likely just kind of benign, but some of it gives you some really interesting insight onto the way the military thinks and the way they will operate against civilians and the way that they will use psychological psychological operations. And so, you know, you could just do a search for 33 and go find the FM 33 psychological operations manual and grab that okay that's what we've done here and uh, then i went ahead and printed that out so today i'm going to go through some of the interesting points that i found in this thick uh, manual that i used a lot of printer ink to print out that's why it's important to have a good printer with lots of printer paper and uh, sticky notes and other things uh, and highlighters to be able to go through and actually hold the documents in your hand. I can archive this in my own personal records for later and have it for reference as well as uh, mark it up so I can reference in something like this. It's a lot easier to do than scrolling through a wheel. At least it'll be easier when I get better at using the document cam. Let's just go into this a little bit. Let me try to find my first note. Purpose and Scope. Ah, the subtitle of today's show. Here, let's get in a little bit here. See if we can line this up. Okay. Hopefully everybody can hear me alright at that angle and see the documents. I got folks. Folks, I got them. All right, this manual provides doctrinal guidance for commanders and staff officers for the conduct of psychological operations uh, discussed. Let's see if we can switch this. Okay. And, uh, let's go back and read that again. This manual provides doctrinal guidance for the commanders and staff officers for the conduct of psychological operations. Discussed us army psyop objectives, roles, and missions, and serves for the doctrinal basis of development of psyop techniques and procedures. Now, remember that offensive word psyop has been changed to miso, like the soup, but, uh, we'll just move forward. Uh, Psychological operations definition, now that you'll notice this is different than what we saw Cywar say there, but we're coming to that. The planned use of propaganda and other measures to influence the opinions, emotions, attitudes, and behavior of hostile and neutral or friendly groups in such a way as to support achievements of national objectives, Terminology, uh, terminology, additional terminology related to psychological operations, And stability. There, a little bit on the light, as shown in reference one through seven below in the AR 320 5. Area oriented, a term applied to personnel or units whose organizations, missions, and trainings, equipment are based upon projected operational deployment and to a specific geographical area consolidation psychological operations a psychological operation conducted towards the population in the friendly areas or in territory occupied by friendly military forces with the objective of facilitating operations and promoting maximum cooperation among the civilian population so again that they use operations on civilian populations to achieve their achieve their objectives um, how how aware are those civilian populations of that and how often are they, you know, having any input on, on how the outcome comes out? Economic warfare. Intensified government direction of economic means to affect foreign economies. Political warfare. Intensified use of political means to achieve national objectives. Populist and resource control. Actions undertaken by a government to control the populace and its material resources or to identify access to those resources which would further hostile aims and objections against that government. All right, now keep in mind the premise that the government doesn't see you as a necessarily non-foreign entity and uh, that your citizenship of the United States uh, federal government doesn't necessarily make you a non-foreign entity. In fact, they are a foreign actor. Um, So who is not foreign to the Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, the federal uh, cartel, I just want to know if there's any non-people that are not foreign to them as they are a foreign state uh, in a foreign land. They're not actually a part of America. They are part of the United States of America, the District of Columbia, the corporation. Anyway, psychological operations here now on this uh, section 1.2. PsyOps include, this is where that uh, actual definition came from in the documentary Psywar. Psywar psyops include the planned use of propaganda and other measures to influence people so that they will behave in a desired manner what about propaganda Uh, propaganda is any form of communication designed to influence the opinion and emotions then that's kind of not Uh, They are designed to influence the opinion and emotions and attitudes or behaviors of any group in order to benefit the sponsor, either directly or indirectly. Uh, Other measures are actions, military, political, economic, social, or other, which assist in accomplishing the PSYOP objectives. They may be employed alone or in conjunction with other PSYOPs and may be implemented by any element of the command propaganda uh, this section here on uh, generally on propaganda general propaganda is used to communicate persuasive messages to select targets and audiences and in the most effective when used to exploit existing attitudes and opinions which may cause the target audience to respond immediately so we're just getting through some of the terms here Uh, classification propaganda is a classified according to the source as white gray or black Uh, these are different classifications of propaganda Uh, white propaganda is overly disseminated and overtly disseminated and acknowledged by its true source the source of gray propaganda is not identified but is left to the imagination of the audience And black propaganda purports to emanate from a source other than the true source classifications as white gray and black has no relationship to the validity of the content so regardless of whether it's white gray or black it doesn't mean that it's true it's just the different ways that they disguise that there's lots of other interesting information on the categories of psyop here um, application. Skipping ahead to page uh, section one four uh, section one eleven application part a military psyops are the source of power available in the commander which when applied in conjunction with other elements of power can substantially aid and accomplish the elements of the mission. Commanders at all levels of command integrate psyop into the plans and operations. PSYOPs are particularly valuable when restraint of the military force is desirable and when friendly forces possess superior combat power. PSYOPs are employed in the following types of operations, limited and general war, stability and operations, unconventional warfare, prisoners of war and civilian intern programs, we're going to get into that, uh, and assistance to civil authorities. And then they go into some of the capabilities, the evolution of PSYOP effectiveness. Probably be very interesting. Uh, none of the stuff that I've skipped in here is not interesting. It's just in the essence of time, I'm gonna move ahead and download the whole thing and read it for yourself. Uh, here, chapter four, they talk about media. Um, they talk about face-to-face communications, printed matters. They talk about Uh, loudspeaker systems, radio, how to use these different various aspects of media, television, of course. In general, television is one of the most effective medias for persuasion. Television offers many advantages for psyop and is the wide application in other fields contribute to its acceptance and use. Television is acceptable in the limited general and cold war, and has the potential to educate and influence on a scale never before possible through the other media. Television, like radio, can be employed to reach the mass audience. In areas where television stations are not common, television receivers may be distributed to key communicators, public installments, and and select individuals. That's very interesting, because why are televisions so cheap to buy, you may wonder, and uh basically you know oftentimes these stimulus packages and things are enough to to cover the cost of the TVs you can see that you know that's right at that line of what people can kind of afford if they reach out a little bit and just keep in mind again that this was written in 1968 or is published it's a field manual from the 68 so just imagine what the updated versions would go into With media uh, motion pictures, of course, is another way that the military industrial complex uh, uses the art of uh, manipulation and propaganda to have uh, their uh, agendas be accepted more easily by the target audiences. General motion pictures combine many aspects of face-to-face communication and television by creating a visual and audio impact on target audiences. U.S. Army PSYOP units do not have the capacity to produce motion picture films. Appropriate films are selected from available sources to include indigenous films and films produced by, responsi- by responsible U.S. agencies. Films produced by responsible U.S. agencies. Um, What? Who would that be? I mean, I, I've got a good idea where we could take that, but I'd like to maybe, you know, come back and cover this more in the future. Um, where did I get lost here? Highlighting, so we'll just take a quick. That's funny. It's funny that they said the U.S. military doesn't have, the U.S. Army PsyOps unit does not have the capacity to produce motion pictures. <laughs> Like, that needed to be, like, explicitly stated. But then there are other responsible U.S. agencies that do. Thank you, CIA. (laughs) And others, I'm sure. Uh, Motion pictures are used to gain attention, establish credibility, and overcome illiteracy. Many films have limited applications because they address areas uh, peculiar to local interest and minority groups. I thought that was really interesting, you know, that they went and hadn't even covered that. Obviously it would be part of psychological operations to control the media. Then they go into intelligence in chapter five. This chapter, there was a lot, I, it's a lot to go into. I just kinda wanna breeze through that to chapter six, stability operations. And uh, what they go into here, stability operations include the entire spectrum of military operations conducted to counter an insurgency. During these operations, the role of PSYOP acquires increased significance because the host country and insurgent forces strive to gain the support of the populace of their respective causes. The populace is caught between opposing forces and susceptible to well-planned and executable PSYOP. PSYOPs do not stand alone, but they are employed in conjunction with the stability operations task from the strategic operations and intelligence operations at the lowest military and political echelons. All military and non-military actions are prejudiced in terms of psychological impact. This consideration may require sacrificing short-range tactical advantages in order to preserve long-range PSYOP objectives which support U.S. policy and programs. All right, and then they have like all these interesting uh, schematics and diagrams that you can go look at. Um, this one, was interesting? Uh, concept of employment: U.S. Uh, normally, U.S. Army psyop participants in stability operation is initiated on request of the host government. Requests for this assist assistance are likely occurred during an early staged of an insurgency. United States Army PSYOP units are committed to it. I think what I really wanted to show here was just the graph of this and how it goes out <clears throat> to where you're eventually, you know, from the supply and maintenance, uh, the propaganda operations and from the propaganda arms, uh, it comes down to light and mobile operations, loudspeakers, things like that. And then down to motion pictures, printed media and the radio uh ultimately disseminating the psyop message now isn't that interesting uh we we in my premise you know covid-19 is an information war and has been deployed as a weapon not only in real with real uh, uh biological weapons that were created and designed in labs to be released on the public but then actually also a psychological operation to m- more so psychological with the effect that there could be a real sickness getting people sick and uh here we see objectives and six section six five uh in this chapter on six stability operations in stability operations psyops are designed to support u.s national objectives and host country programs and are directed towards selected target audiences The hostile, friendly, and neutral target groups and their associated PSYOP objectives are discussed below. Again, folks, if you're joining late, uh, or if anybody's even watching at all at this point with the reading, uh, we're going over the Psychological Operations Army Doctrine Field Manual uh, 33 from the headquarters of the Department of, of the Army, June 1968. And we are on Chapter 6. And we're reading a subsection here on objectives. Uh, Civilian populations. The PSYOP objectives are to gain, preserve, and strengthen civilian support for the host government and its stability operations objectives. An important additional objective is to establish and maintain a suitable image of the U.S. elements supporting the host country, host countries, and allied forces. The PSYOP objectives are essentially the same as for civilian populations and contribute to building and maintaining the morale, loyalty, and fighting spirit of these forces. Neutral, the PSYOP objective, neutral is the word that we're going over, the PSYOP objective is to gain the support of the host country and external neutrals for the establishment government, established government. All right, so... Again, there's there's ways that they'll use PSYOPs on host countries, even civilian populations of their own host country, in order to achieve the objectives of the military, of the United States. And so, uh, you know, you got to wonder about that. They've been saying there's been an insurrection and all these other words. There's, there's, is there a reason why they're using these words? Is that because they are military PSYOP words that can then engage higher levels of the psyop? Skipping ahead to this section on populace and resource control, populace and resource control operations often are impopular because they usually consist of restrictions imposed upon the local uh, populace. PSYOP exploit the positive gains realized through populace and resource control measures, these PSYOP. Relate the importance of controls to the safety and well being of the population. Emphasize that control and restrictions are imposed because of insurgent activities. Advocate the importance of riding society off of the insurgent. Sorry. Advocate the importance of ridding society of the insurgent. Promote the protection of raw material, factories, and crops against sabotage, pilferage, and waste. Promote the support of local programs in secure areas. Support populist control measures employed along main routes of communication. Promote uh, defoli- defoliation operations, which are employed to clear areas of for observation, crop production, and fields of fire. Support curfews, which are enforced to control the populace and to separate the. Insurgent from sources of food, material, shelter, and intelligence support. Support control of refugees and displaced persons. And number 10, insecure areas promote the host country's ability to protect society from violations, lawlessness, and sabotage. So basically martial law and using this as a form of uh, control over the population during a PSYOP operation, which you could clearly see that we're under and going into now. Uh, limited and General War, Chapter 7. He goes, They go over psychological operations in limited war, psycholo- psych- psychological operations in general war, strategic psychological operations. Was there something else that I wanted to cover here? No, I think that's it. So basically that... Just, just going and showing you some of the techniques of the psychological operation uh, field manual, because you can see those techniques being deployed now on you know the people here all all around the world actually, and not just in the United States. Um, but it's very militarized. It's a very militarized operation. Um, we know that uh, DARPA was involved in a lot of the research funding, and we know that uh, other agencies in the military. Like we read last week uh, from the information operations roadmap, one right turn in were their document that uh, they're constantly studying and planning how these different pandemic and operation things will happen and occur to a civilian population and how they can go about managing that situation. All right. So now, If we want to move ahead a little bit, um, again, that was the Army Field Manual uh, 33 written in 1968. You can download that in the show notes and get that information for yourself to go through it and uh, show your friends. I know that's what you and your friends do when you get together is go over stuff like that. Um, But the next thing that I want to go into, uh, if I can find the right button here, um, would be another manual that I pulled out of those field manuals, and this one is the counterintelligence manual. And uh, page 5 and 6, after I read the intro here, we'll go into, I just want to read the prologue. The purpose of this booklet is to present the basic information on the mission and activities of counterintelligence. So this one is on counterintelligence, and it's a study manual um, from the national security agency i believe let's see hold on u.s army school of the americas document on counterintelligence and a part the purpose we'll just read the prologue the purpose of this booklet is to present the basic information on the mission and activities of counterintelligence But with the understanding that the primary mission is to support the commander of the armed forces, this booklet is dedicated to the concept of counterintelligence in relation with the functional areas, the application of the functions, and blah, blah, blah. All right. So I wanted to read page five and six. We can... ...objectives here. Okay, so definition of counterintelligence. Counterintelligence is defined as the activity or activities collectively organized by an intelligence service dedicated to obstruct the enemy source of information by means of concealment, codes, crypto, censorship, and other measures to deceive the enemy by using disinformation, trickery, etc. The two measures used by counterintelligence Are defense, defensive or offensive? Defensive measures vary normally with the mission of the unit. An example of these measures are counterespionage, countersabotage, countersubversion, anti-terrorism, counterterrorism. Next, intelligence consists of collection, transmission, and dissemination of military. Data referring to the possibilities of real in, real enemy and or the area of operations. The military commander uses this intelligence in order to formulate his possible course of action and to select a course of action in particular in order to achieve the mission. Thus, the intelligence obtained is of vital importance to the commander and for the conduct of his mission. Intelligence is also essential to the enemy, or for the enemy as it is for us. The enemy also uses these sorts of measures as its disposal to become informed about our capabilities, vulnerabilities, and probable cause of action, and also information about the meter- meteorological conditions of the terrain. Military counterintelligence is that part of intelligence intended to deprive the enemy of this knowledge, and in the manner to prevent the enemy's activities of espionage, sabotage, and subversion, as well as discover the possibilities." acts of adverse nature treason or sedition among our own military forces counterintelligence is a significant aspect in both the strategic intelligence and combat and is essential for the favorable applications of two of the nine basic principles of war security and surprise the principles of war are mass objective security surprise command offensive maneuver force economy simplicity Effective counterintelligence enhances the security and helps achieve surprise. Surprise depends not only on the intelligence obtained and the speed of movement, but also the effective counterintelligence. Effort to prevent the enemy from obtaining data, reducing the risk of the command, can suffer, provided it has diminished the, the enemy's capabilities of utilizing effectively its potential of combat against the armed forces. Thus, effective counterintelligence allows security of the unit. Deception in combat is a military operation designed to conceal our dispositions, capabilities, and intentions and deceive the enemy in such a way that it would be to the disadvantage or to our advantage. Deception is designed to derail or to deceive the enemy through manipulation. All right, back to the reading um well anyway so this this is a document on counterintelligence which is also interesting to go through i think i would want to mark up more of the interesting parts again going back to provide the evidence of how counterintelligence may be used in times of peace perceived peace by the local host population and uh how those those my point is not necessarily to expose the military and how they operate, but it's more or less that what I'm threading together here is that these things are not just done in times of war to in, uh, in Iraq, but that, you know, the, the wording of enemy and things like that is not just talking. It's, you know, look at the wording they're using now with domestic terrorism and, you know, the insurrection. And like we saw in the army field manual and uh, psychological operations that, why are they calling what's going on in America at the Capitol, you know, a month ago, a, a violent insurrection? Well, because now they can treat these local groups uh, as domestic terrorists, and then uh, the psychological operation, you know, can continue on those uh, parts of the of the citizenry. And uh, you know, they're telling you right to your face how that works and how they'll use the media and the movies and different propaganda to get people to go along. Uh, with you know their plans and today what we're going to do is go into a little bit more of their plans by covering the strategic trends program document Uh, if i go here (laughs) for some reason my um, stream deck i've kind of got mixed up between this and grand theft world and what happens here and there but uh, that's okay so Um, This document is something that's available on GrandTheftWorld.com. Speaking of Grand Theft World, um, if you go and join up in the membership, you can download it from the course section. We have it uploaded in there. So to do that, you can just go to Grand Theft World and go to join. And then you can also wait just a minute and that pop up will come and you can enter your email and actually download this document, which will deliver straight to your inbox by going to GrandTheftWorld.com and just reading a little bit about what the global strategic trends program and the people that wrote the document that we're going to be going over here, uh, reading a little bit about that before we go into it. And we're not going to like go as much into it as we did with the army operations field manual. So don't worry about that. (laughs) Um, but they were established in 2001 to research and understand the potential trends that shape the information of the future of strategic in strategic context. It is undertaken at the Development Concepts and Doctrine Center, which is the UK's Joint Forces Command and based in Shrivenham, Wilshire. One of the main findings of the global strategic trends out of 2040 is that the era of 2040 will be the time transition characterized by instability in both relations between states and in the relations between groups within states. During this time frame, significant global trends will include climate change, rapid population growth resource scarcity, and resurgence in ideology in a shift of power from west to east. Isn't that interesting? The struggle to establish an effective system of global governance is likely to be central in the theme of the era. So now we'll go read the actual Global Strategic Trends Out of 2040 document, which you can download from here. You could also get from our site. We make it nice and easy for you, The Grand Theft World. And let's go into... Uh, Page 2 and 3 is where I wanted to start. Uh, The DCDC uh, Strategic Trends Program provides a comprehensive analysis of the future strategic context out of 2040. The work is based on research conducted at DCDC in conjunction with subject matter experts across the range of disciplines. These experts come from a multitude of backgrounds, including... Government and academia it is a global view of future trends, and DCDC has conducted workshops and consultations in Europe, Middle East, Asia, Africa, and North America to gain international perspective. The document is a contribution to a growing body of knowledge and is aimed at the defense community. It seeks to build on the defense community, yeah, the Department of War you mean. <laughs> It seeks to build on previous editions of global strategic trends with a more accessible format. It has a greater focus on defense and security issues and expands on other subjects, including resources and resurgence of ideology. So this is basically like how the crown and the ministry of the defense and the ministry of truth and, uh, uh you know, how their global governance in 2040 will be ruling over you at that time. So, going down onto page 9, let's see, was there anything interesting on page 3? Purpose, the need for defense to understand the strategic, the future strategic context was articulated in the Strategic Defense Review in 1998, which confirmed the long-term nature of defense planning. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so some context on what we're about to read and I'm not gonna. I'm definitely like not covering the bulk of these documents. You can go through and see here. They're talking about all the different things that are going to go on and the civil unrest and the. Uh, here we're going to go with executive summary and implications for defense and security. This is on page nine. This section highlights the major themes and their relevance to defense and security. The era of 2040. Reading from the document. From the Executive Summary and Implications for Defense and Security, the the era of 2040 will be a time of transition. It is likely to be characterized by instability both in relations between states and in relations between groups within states. During this time frame, the world is likely to face the reality of a changing climate, rapid population growth, resource scarcity, resurgence of ideology, and shifts in global power from west to east. No state, group, or individual can meet these challenges in isolation. Only collective response will be sufficient. Hence, the struggle to establish an efficient system of global governance capable of responding to these challenges will be a central theme of the era. Globalization, global inequity, climate change, and technological innovation will affect the lives of everyone on the planet. There will be constant tension between the greater interdependence between states and groups of individuals and intensifying competition between them. Dependence on a complex global system such as the global supply chain for resources is likely to increase the risk of systematic failures. So they've laid out a problem. There's all these things with climate change, even though they've been saying that forever and that we're still, you know, not underwater. California and New York City are still not underwater and and they're fine. And uh, the polar bears have not died. And it turns out carbon dioxide is actually good for the planet and good for the plants and uh, isn't harmful. Um, We we need to have a global governance because of all these problems. Like they, they outline the problem. There's only one solution is global government. The distribution of continuing on reading the document. The distribution of global power will change out of out to 2040. The locus of global power will move away from the United States and Europe towards Asia. As the global system shifts from a unipolar towards a multipolar distribution of power this shift coupled with the global challenges of climate change, resource scarcity and population growth is likely to result in a period of instability in international relations accompanied by the possibility of intense competition between major powers. So there's still with the Malthusianism and the overpopulation, even though, you know, that hasn't been an issue. And of course, yeah, like larger population, there's probably going to be a lot of problems, but it's not an insurmountable, um, thing but they they categorize this as like it's imminent it's not fixable there's no way we're going to have these shortages like they're just genies they just know because of all their data exactly what's going to happen however the rise of individual states such as china should not be considered a, a certainty given the nature of the magnitude of challenges they face nor should their eventual influence over to be overestimated Instead, there will be several states and institutions competing for regional and global influence, cooperating and competing within the international community. Globalization is likely to continue, underpinned by the rapid and development of global telecommunications and resulting in pervasive information environment in which the global population will be capable of being online all the time. Politically, globalization is likely to raise the level of interdependence between states and individuals. Okay, so that document is something that I feel like you should also go download and read through. We're, we're clearly not gonna do that today. Um, maybe some days we can read more into these things and go further. Uh, unfortunately, today I'm kind of already running up against the clock here. So we're gonna jump right into what is from that document and what their plans were. What were some plans going back earlier in the 2000s or late 90s um, known as from the think tank group, the project for the new American century, which was a neuro neoconservative think tank group based in Washington, D.C., uh, had members like uh, George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, Paul Wolfowitz, you know, the neocon uh, uh, staff of uh bush who uh, were involved in a lot of nefarious things that went on during that time um well the project for a new american century and the age of bioweapons 20 years of psychological terror says the strategic culture foundation who are these guys and what is this article here written in april 8th of 2020 um it goes into accusing the neocons of being involved in researching biological weapons and potentially bringing the being the precursor to, uh, COVID-19 with the different anthrax things, uh, that went on during that time. And to jump right into what they may have said about that, I went and downloaded Rebuilding America's Defenses, which was a document from the Project for a New American Century, Strategic Forces and, uh, Strategy Forces and Resources for a New Century. Uh, in this document, scrolling down to page two, we find the text that says "Okay, I wanted to read page two and three here. So this is gonna be a little bit more reading. This is reading from the project for a new American centuries document, rebuilding America's defenses, strategy, forces, and resources for a new century. This was coming out of the early 2000s. The group uh, is now no longer in existence since 2006 um, and has been succeeded by more groups like this that we'll go on to in the future in this show. But uh, let's just start in. In other words, until another great power challenger emerges, the United States can enjoy a respite from the demands of international leadership. Like a boxer between championship bouts, America can afford to relax and live a good life certain that there will be enough time to shape up for the next big challenge thus the united states can afford let's see is that coming in okay for you guys Yeah. but as we uh there let's go back thus the united states can afford to reduce its military forces close bases overseas halt major forces or sorry halt major weapons programs and reap the financial benefits of the peace dividend but as we have seen over the past decade There has been no shortage of powers around the world who have taken the collapse of the Soviet Empire as the opportunity to expand their own influence and challenge the American led security order. Beyond the faulty notion of strategic pause, recent defense reviews have suffered from an inverted understanding of the military diminished of the Cold War struggle between the United States and the Soviet Union. America contaminated strategy uh, sorry american containment strategy did not proceed from the assumption that the cold war would be purely mili- would be a purely military struggle in which the us matched the red army tank for tank rather the united states would seek to deter the soviets military while defeating them economically and ideologically over time and even within the realm of military affairs the practice and deterrence allowed for what in military terms is called an economy of force. The principal job of NATO forces, for example, was to deter an invasion of Western Europe, not to invade and occupy the Russian heartland. Moreover, the bipolar nuclear balance of terror made both the United States and the Soviet Union generally cautious. Behind the smallest proxy war in the most remote region lurked the possibility of Armageddon. Thus, despite numerous miscalculations, though the five decade of Cold War, the United States reaped an extraordinary measure of global security and stability simply by building a credible and relative terms, inexpensive nuclear arsenal. In relative terms, it was inexpensive. Um, Then they show some differences between the Cold War and the 21st century and in that table and we're going to continue reading on over the decade of the post cold war period however almost everything has changed the cold war was a bipolar war the 21st century war is for the moment at least decidedly unpolar or unipolar with america in the world's sole superpower america's strategic goal used to be containment of the soviet union Today, the task is to preserve the international security envi- environment conducive to American interests and ideals. So the, the, the United States' military new role is just to preserve and, you know, contain and achieve the things that are in America's best interest, even in a time of peace. The military's job during the Cold War was to defeat the Soviet expansionism. Today, it is tasked to secure and expand the zones of democratic peace in quotes, that's so very good that they put that in quotes, to deter the rise of new great power competitors and to defend key regions of Europe, East Asia, and the Middle East, and to preserve American preeminence through the coming transformation of war made possible by new technologies. From 1945 to 1990, U.S. forces prepared themselves for a single global war that might be fought across many theaters. In the new century, the prospect is for a variety of theater of wars around the world against separate and distinct adversaries pursuing pursuing separate and distinct goals. During the Cold War, the main venue of superpower rivalry, the strategic center of gravity, was in Europe, where large U.S. and NATO conventional forces prepared to repulse a Soviet attack and over which nuclear war might begin and with europe now generally at peace the new strategic center of concern appears to be shifting to east asia the mission for the americas armed forces have not diminished so much as shifted or so much have shifted the threats may not be as great but there are more of them during the cold war america acquired its security wholesale by global deterrence of the soviet union Today, the same security can only be acquired at the retail level by deterring or, when needed, by compelling regional forces to act in ways that protect America's interests and principles, compelling through psychological operations and MISO operations and psychological warfare, as we've talked about previously. This gap between diverse and expansive sets set anew, strategic realities and diminishing defense forces as resources Does not to explain, does much to explain why the Joint Chiefs of Staff routinely declare that they see high risk in executing the mission assigned to the U.S. Armed Forces under the government's declared national military strategy. Indeed, the JCS assessment conducted at the height of the Kosovo Air War was was the risk level unacceptable. Such risks are the result of the combination of new missions described above and dramatically reduce the military force that has emerged from defense drawdown of the past decade. Today, America spends less than 3% of its gross domestic product on national defense, less than at any time since before World War II. In other words, since the since before the United States established itself as the world's leading power and cut from of GDP in 1992, the first real post-Cold War defense budget. Um, Let's see, page 2 and 3. Okay, I I read a lot of that, and I want to jump ahead a little bit here. That gives us a good idea of that part. And then I'm going to jump down to page 59 and 60 really quick. In fact, I might have been reading from a section that I didn't mean to read from necessarily. But that was... Decent uh, information to get into the record there. What I wanted to go after was here, where they talked about (laughs) biological warfare, and let's read from uh, the top of page or the middle of page fifty-nine, and we're going to read down to the bottom or to the paragraph here in page sixty. Really quick, just to get this part into the record. So, further transformation advocates tend to focus on the nature of revolutionary new capabilities rather than how to achieve the necessary transformation. Thus, the National Defense Panel called the strategy of transformation without uh, uh, without formulating a strategy for transformation. There has been little discussion of exactly how to change today's force into tomorrow's force while maintaining U.S. military preeminence along the way. Therefore, it will be necessary to undertake two-stage process of transition, whereby today's legacy forces are modified and selectively modernized with new systems readily available and true transformation when the result of vigorous experiments introduced radically new weapons, concepts of operation and organization to the armed services. These two-stage processes is likely to take several decades, the two stage process. Yet, although the precise shape and direction of transformation of the U.S. armed forces remains a matter for rigorous experimentation and analysis, it is possible to foresee the general characteristics of current revolution in military affairs. Broadly speaking, these cover several principal areas of capabilities improved situational awareness, sharing of information, range of endurance of platforms of weapon precision and miniaturization, speed and stealth, automation and simulation. These characteristics will be combined in various ways to produce new military capabilities, new classes of sensor commercial of sensors commercial and military on land and under sea and in the air. So they're going to get all these new different types of weapons and I'm going to skip down a little bit. The proliferation of ballistics and cruise missiles and long range unmanned aerial vehicles will make it much easier to project military power around the globe. Munitions themselves will become increasingly accurate while new methods of attack electronic non-lethal biological will be more widely available low cost long endurance UAVs and even unattained, unattended missiles in a box will allow not only for long-range power projections for the sustained power projection, s- simulation technologies will vastly improve military training and mission planning. Okay, so they're going to go into here how they want to use uh, biological weapons, basically, um, and so advances in biological warfare can that can target specific genotypes may transform biological warfare from the realm of terror to the politically useful tool. So they talk about in this document in the PNAC document, which I was building up to there and kind of got on the wrong page and read some of the wrong record. But ultimately that they're talking about race specific bioweapons being used as a useful political tool, um, and potentially in the realm of terror or as a political useful tool. So that was the project for a new American century, uh, PNAC as they're known. And, uh, some of the stuff they were talking about back in the early 2000s with using race specific bioweapons, uh, in their, uh, research, There, things that could potentially be useful for the future. All right. So right now I am going to go check on a couple things, but I am going to leave you with a nice intermission. We're going to continue on with the Psywar documentary actually. And we're going to jump into hour and six minutes and play it for about uh, 10 to uh, 15 to 20 minutes and then come back. And then there's a few articles that I wanted to go over that we might need to scrape into next time. But at least what I could do is leave you with another clip and another document after this clip, which we'll go into. But for now, I'm going to switch it to Cywar and... uh, this part of the documentary which ties into what we've been talking about here and just continue on with the episode thanks for all those watching uh lots of reading today lots of uh kind of going into stuff a little bit more in depth and that's sort of the purpose of this series is to get this stuff out on record and uh to be able to have people more people become aware of some of the research the military and darpa have done in regards to the ongoing plague and uh, how we can make sure that we're not just falling for more psychological operations and legitimately need to take actions and are not just taking actions in our lives that are prompted and uh, promoted by people that are looking to profit off of our unhealthiness or off of our even demise
7: Prominent intellectuals continue to argue that the world's complexity makes democracy impossible. A recent cover story in Time magazine claimed that democracy is in the worst interest of national goals. The modern world is too complex to allow the man or woman in the street to interfere in its management. A man who surely would have agreed was Edward Barnet's. Like Lippmann, Barnet served as a propagandist on the Creole Committee, and like Lippmann, He went on to refashion wartime propaganda for peacetime aims. In his classic text, Propaganda, Bernays suggested that elites regiment the public mind every bit as much as an army regiments their bodies. Bernays considered mass mind control so crucial that it constituted, in his words, the very essence of the democratic process. Bernays' opportunity to shine arose when a crisis threatened not only the profits of major corporations, but the entire capitalist system. The solution, as theorized by business leaders, would lead to social breakdown, environmental catastrophe, and further alienation between the American people and their government. It would also lead to wealth on a scale never before imagined.
6: major story that advertising tells us about human happiness is that the way through happiness is through the consumption of things and that in fact buying something in the marketplace will make you happy in fact that's the message of almost every single ad and it's not often you can say that there is one message that is in the literally millions of ads that are produced every year but I think that is the message the message of advertising as a whole is that it's better to buy than not to buy that in fact the way to become and that you'll be happier as a result of buying than, than not buying. And I think it, it, that idea, in fact, I think is the major force for global social change um, you know, over, over the last 50 years.
7: In the 1920s, business leaders were faced with a dilemma. Overproduction of goods had exceeded demand. Production between 1860 and 1920 had increased by 12 to 14 times, while the population only increased by a factor of three. There were several ways of solving the problem. One was to reduce working hours and raise wages so that production and consumption reached an equilibrium this would have led to more leisure time for workers and a higher standard of living. The problem with this solution is that it could have entailed a slight decrease in profits. Corporations are mandated by law to maximize profits on behalf of their shareholders, regardless of social or environmental costs. According to business leaders, there was another problem. John Edgerton, president of the National Association of Manufacturers, warned that a shorter work week would undermine the work ethic and potentially ferment radicalism. If people had time to stop and think, they might also take the time to rethink their position in life. The emphasis should be put on work, Edgerton stated. More work and better work, instead of upon leisure. It seems a harmless enough statement, but what businessmen were advocating was revolutionary. Production would no longer be about satisfying human needs. It would be an end in and of itself. Rather than a democracy of ideas, or a democracy of mass participation, the United States would become a democracy of material goods. The citizen would be replaced by the consumer.
0: Look at those goods piled up over there. I'm worried. Here we are, we've got the new machines, and they're doing even better than we expected. They've not only cut production costs, but they've increased output over 50%. But we're not selling this additional product. Inventories are piling up. Now, what are we going to do about it? It seems to me we've got to change our plan completely. Now that we're increasing production, we've got to put on more pressure, work the territory more intensively. You mean uh, more advertising?
6: Yes. The problem of capitalism is the problem of consumption. And the problem is that after your basic needs have been met, there is no real need for consumption. And so you have to convince people that, in fact, their identities are based upon the consumption of objects for which there is no material need. That's the problem that comes from the expansion of the market. If you look at advertising, it's a very interesting history. In the first period of advertising, yeah, we can say right up, the, up until about the 1920s, advertising talked about goods themselves. They talked about how they were made, what they did, how well they lasted, etc. It really is a discourse about objects, about what goods did. However, starting around 1920, that changes. And from that period on, advertising doesn't really talk about goods themselves. They talk about the relationship of goods to our needs.
7: At the center of the new strategy was Edward Bernays. If Walter Littman had concerned himself with an overarching analysis of mass media and democracy, Bernays would devote most of his energies to propaganda on behalf of the corporation. His uncle, Sigmund Freud would serve as his muse. Rather than focus on the intrinsic worth of a particular product, Bernays suggested a strategy where products became linked with the unconscious desires of the public. In this manner, there would be virtually no limits to either production or consumption.
0: Freud's nephew was a man by the name of Bernays, and he's regarded as the father of modern public relations, particularly in the United States. His contribution, if you want to call it that, was to take propaganda techniques that had been developed for uh, military, psychological warfare, national security type issues during World War One, and apply them in a systematic way to commercial issues. One of his best known efforts had to do with encouraging females, women, to smoke. He would stage beauty pageants, he would stage what are, would today be called photo ops and that sort of thing, in which smoking by women was portrayed as women's liberation, was portrayed as a way to be free and empowered, is getting addicted to nicotine. The audience, the market in Bernays' mind, had a clear desire to be free, to be stronger, to be more self-empowered. So women clearly wanted these things. Along comes Bernays in the tobacco industry and says, here is how to have it.
6: Goods are not central to satisfaction. What actually really makes people happy are non-material things. What makes people happy seems to be things connected with sociability. I don't mean to say by that that material things have nothing to do with happiness. Poor people are not happy. They don't have access to, you know, to clean drinking water. They don't have access to food. They don't have access to shelter. So it's not that material things are not connected to happiness. They, they are to some degree. Once you get past a certain level of comfort, material things simply don't provide us happiness. At the same time, there is this giant propaganda system of of advertising that is again perpetually telling us that the way to happiness is through objects, the way to happiness is through consumption. What makes people happy are things to do with society, with connection, with... with with personal connection, uh, with autonomy, with relaxation. In fact, when you ask people what it is that makes them happy, Goods very rarely come into it. However, the problem is that capitalism has to sell goods. <laughs> the marketplace provides goods, and therefore, what what it did was it took the images of the life that people really want, which is a life of meaning, of connection, of sociability, of friendship, of, of family, of intimacy, of sexuality. Those are the images that it took, and it linked them to objects. And so, advertising is both true and false at the same time. If you're simply false, you know, it it wouldn't work. But advertising is true to the extent that it reflects our real desires.
7: As bizarre as it may sound for people who dream of fantastic wealth, as a cure for unhappiness, the same holds for the wealthy. Beyond a certain level of material comfort, deprivation is relative. At the
3: bottom level, sure, it's 5 million to 10 million dollars a year. But once you've got 5 or 10 million that doesn't seem like enough, because you're associated with people who have 15 or 20. And when you get 15 or 20, then it's 50 and 100. And you wind up never feeling as if you have enough. And in fact, people really never even thought of themselves as rich, even when they were colossally rich, um, because of this phenomenon that psychologists call relative deprivation. They were comparing themselves, not with you and me, but, but with each other in this little world that they've come to inhabit.
7: In his book, The Status Seekers, Vance Packard uses the phrase merchants of discontent to describe a deliberate strategy by advertisers of targeting the less affluent with status symbol messages. For someone with little chance of changing their social conditions in life, consumerism offers a quick fix that allows people to feel as though they are climbing the social hierarchy when in fact they are standing still. The strategy was particularly evident in mid-century automobile advertising. Studies found that people who lived in housing developments were more likely to park their cars outside of the garage than those who could afford more expensive homes. A typical example is this advertisement from Plymouth. It reads, we're not wealthy, we just look it. The American way of life would be characterized by a myth which would seem to make political activism unnecessary. In the new democracy of material goods, there were an infinite number of possessions to be purchased by rich and poor alike. There was no need to change institutions because the system was already perfect. It was called the American dream, and happiness was just one possession away.
0: Our young adults at the shopping centers are built in their image. Selling to young adults demands a new kind of marketing. For these young adults, the shopping centers have built thousands, commissioned statues, put in restaurants, and freestanding stairways. They've included banks, loan offices, rental plans, plant nurseries, and places to buy building materials. The shopping centers see these young adults As people whose homes are always in need of expansion. People who buy in large quantities and truck it away in their cars. It's a big market.
6: In the tinsel and glitter world of Beverly Hills, superstars reign supreme.
2: Right. so maybe next episode what we'll do is continue with the Cy War documentary and wrap it up as part of sort of an intermissionary uh, piece to go through and give me a break from the live stream and take a a minute away and be able to check on things. And as uh, discussed previously, we already have some company over at the house today for a little party my wife is throwing. She throws the best parties and cooks the best food. And uh, everybody that comes over, it's a great time. And, uh, you know, we are still operating in life like we should be able to interact with other human beings and that there's risk that can be mitigated and there are lots of things that can be done to cover uh the risk and there's lots of things i could talk about in the future on this show in regards to that and and maybe we will go into more of the solutions oriented approach uh here but mainly what i want to do is keep deep diving in and uncovering uh, the stuff that's we've been getting into here, just showing the psychological side of this thing. The point of the the, the latter half of that clip there was to show that the military and uh, is also working with people like Edward Bernays, and they use uh, techniques learned on both sides to approach not just selling cigarettes, but selling a war, as we talked about. Last week, um, so getting people to be emotionally involved into going to war, that's part of the psychological operation on both sides. They need to have the psyops being done on the battlefield, but then also back at home, they need to make sure the psychological operations and psychological warfare is being conducted in a way as to not have a large amount of people opposing the war, or maybe even in in some cases they they, uh, counter-opt or co-opt a group that is against the war, such as what happened in the, with the Vietnam war and the military will turn around with, uh, operations, different vari- variations of operations that were performed in the sub projects of MK ultra to disseminate lysergic acid and LSD to the, you know, as known as LSD and other drugs and other operations that were done to the population that were anti-war to redirect their energies into, into different ways and different ways that they could study them. This, again, is this sort of continuation of the neo-Nazi uh, transformation of the elite Nazi fascist philosophy into a broad-based popular movement where uh, the populace becomes more in line and in tune with uh, Nazi ideal uh, idealism and uh, ideology and uh, things like eugenics and social Darwinism and the Malthusian limited, uh, scarcity worldview are more easily propagated, especially when you look at like the climate engineering or climate change, sorry, climate change, uh, problem and the whole theory behind all that and how it came about. And uh, how the United Nations basically is using this as a Trojan horse tool to come in and uh, to change the minds and the hearts of the people and the populace is about how they operate in the West. As you could see there from those documents from PNAC to be able to transform the mindset into more of less of an individualistic society, less of an American mindset or, or a Western uh, way of thinking and more into the socialist Eastern, uh, individuals' rights don't matter as much as the collective-type philosophy. Uh, moving into the technological, uh, uh, the technocracy aspect of this with that sort of panopticon-type system in uh, China and the Great Firewall of China and the censoring of the Internet and everything uh, is coming together all in one bundle there, as you could see. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I better uh, get to some of these guests that I have here today. But what I'd like to cover uh, in the coming weeks is we'll go into some of these uh, documents that have been covered in the Grand Theft World podcast already, but uh, back in uh, June 19th of 20... Or, sorry, this is... Yeah, this article is more than two years old, June 19th of 2018. Synthetic bio- biology raises risk of new bioweapons. U.S. report warns The Guardian article... Uh, of course, Peter Eco EcoHealth Alliance has uh, hidden almost $40 million in Pentagon funding and militarized pandemic science. We'll go through and uncover some more of those ties. And uh, the Fort Detrick lab shut down after failed safety inspection in August of 2019. I believe that was after Donald Trump uh, started up the bio, uh, gain-of-function bioweapon research again back in 2017 which it should uh it was considered illegal and too dangerous to be doing in 2014 and under the trump administration darpa and all these uh crazy bastards uh, these various agencies of the united states army and things like that started doing their gain of function research again including fauci and the national institute of health and virology and uh who then sold that technology to the wuhan uh labs which is where you know they've apparently now leaked out of, and so we'll go through and cover more of those connections, which we know YouTube loves very much, that kind of information, and they know uh, we know they love when we uh, put it out there. So we'll continue to do that, and if we end up not being on YouTube, I have made uh, precautions to make sure that I'm backed up other places. You can go to tylerbloier.com, and now see that I have recent articles up on the front page. This article will be here later on today with the show notes, maybe tomorrow morning since I do have some guests to get to. There's me. And uh, you can go get on the list for Within the Stones Broadcasting for the production course that I'll be putting together to teach people how to do all the different things that I do here in the live show, but then also the production that we do for Grand Theft World, the various course production that we do for the clients that we work with over at Autonomy Unlimited and within the Stones Media Network. So get on the list. It's coming soon, maybe late 2021 is when I'm planning to get the uh, free course launched, completely free course, completely uh, no obligations, no charges to you, just value that I'm offering as part of something that you can sign up for uh, after watching the live streaming show and saying, well, what do I do now? I kind of liked that. How do I keep up? Uh, sign up for the course. And then, of course, you can sign up for the newsletter, which is just me sending out emails every now and then with updates from the show and then all the various platforms. Uh, I would start looking at Mines and uh, BitShoot and Odyssey and Library and places like this for the future show as we know you know not that i limit what i say but we know that the show may not be on youtube that much longer i think i might have two strikes already or maybe just one um either way if i get another one we'll see what happens there anyways guys have a wonderful saturday Uh, if you're watching this in the future thank you for supporting the work again as going back to the beginning what i was saying is i really just kind of starting With the type of research and type of work that i want to get into i had to kind of go through the last year and a half of the type of work that i was putting out to kind of clear up some things that i was philosophically not stable with at first settling out and i don't think anyone ever fully has the picture totally figured out um but i do have one more clip that i'll exit with uh today it's called engineering viruses and the new biological weapons here's what you need to know uh, I found this clip while doing a little bit of research before the show. I felt like it was a good mix to put in at the end. And then next time when we come back... microbes are microscopic
4: oops. organisms that...
2: Sorry, I got to start a little early there. Next time when we come back, we'll explain this and we'll go into more of the stuff that I was talking about that we plan to go into. Anyways, take it easy, guys. Have a wonderful day. I'll leave you with this clip here and then I'll just go ahead and shut the show down after that. <sighs>
4: Microbes are microscopic organisms that we use to bake bread, brew beer, and lately, engineer with synthetic DNA to create new biological systems. In this world of synthetic biology, a microbe is seen as a chassis, or a structural frame to add genes and DNA. It'll get tested and have its performance improved so it can hopefully do something useful for the world. Yet this potential to modify living organisms and steer them towards global problems is often met with the dark side. It's a swing between promise and total peril, and sometimes called the half-pipe of doom. To understand why this framing exists, we have to go back to the early 2000s. The Human Genome Project was nearing the finish line, and scientists had new molecular tools to dream up promising applications. And a major terrorist attack hit New York City.
3: There it is, the plane Mm. went right through Mm. the other tower of the World Trade Center.
8: In just a week's time, we have had four confirmed cases of anthrax, all with media connections and a number of anthrax scares as well.
4: At
1: that point, synthetic biology became a potential tool for a whole new kind of weapon. So when most people think about a bioweapon, they think about some kind of organism. You might think about anthrax bacteria or the smallpox virus and that that is your weapon. But turning an organism into a lethal pathogen that can do predictable harm requires more sophistication. Not only do you have to have a pathogen, but then you have to actually know how to reliably hold it, grow it, and then determine ways that you can effectively disseminate it so that the bacteria or toxin wouldn't be destroyed. After World War I,
4: multiple state governments launched their own biological weapons programs as a research
1: endeavor and stockpiling countermeasure. And that's probably one of the most top-secret pieces of our former bioweapons program is that formulation of how you keep these things stable to survive as a weapon. These things are living organisms, so they are very finicky. In the Soviet Biological Weapons Program, they tried to create a plague bacteria that was resistant to several different antibiotics. They created this super-duper plague weapon, but actually it was a horrible weapon because it would just die. They couldn't have it survive in the environment. With this focused experimentation, scientists ended up
4: creating enough bioweapons to kill every person on the planet. But luckily, national governments signed a treaty to ban biological weapons. Decades later, huge investments in genetics made the tools and techniques cheaper and more accessible — enough for it to be possible to create an engineered synthetic pathogen. And that's why SynthBio and its quest to make biology easier to engineer set off alarm bells. In
1: 2002, a group of scientists from the State University of New York at Stony Brook created the first artificial poliovirus synthetically, not using any natural viral components. So that was a, a real radical innovation. At that time, a congressman picked up the New York Times that day, read about this artificial synthesis of the poliovirus and really got freaked out. Then a lot of other federal entities got concerned about what happened here. Did we slip up? Should we have done more to have oversight over this? This poliovirus study was actually funded by DARPA, an agency within the U.S. government. All this controversy came out as this experiment, a blueprint for bioterrorism. I became very interested in sort of really wondering, is that the case? Is it now that easy to create a pathogen from scratch? And I was, I wasn't sure. There's a lot of focus on the materials that the scientists basically could buy commercially to do their experiments. The fact that they could download information off of the internet. So it wasn't really anything required highly sophisticated material or equipment. But there's more to this particular story. I thought it would be interesting to go and interview the scientists involved. What was really fascinating is once I started kind of probing a little bit about the experiment, they suddenly came to describe this later part, which actually required a significant amount of expertise. Basically, if you couldn't do that part of the experiment, the experiment would fail. You couldn't actually create the artificial poliovirus. But you wouldn't know that by reading any of the newspaper reports. You wouldn't know that even by reading the scientific paper itself, and that widely unreported part involved a famous cell line and cow serum. To make this artificial virus, it actually requires a very rigorous level of purity of these HeLa cell extracts. These HeLa cells are grown in this cow serum. When they've tried to do this experiment using cow serum bought at different times a year, that can actually cause a failure in experiments are hypothesizing because they're not really sure, but maybe in these different times of the year, the cows are eating different kinds of things. And that at a very micro level in the cell actually makes a huge difference. From my perspective, I would just like to see more robust kinds of assessments on these technologies instead of the quick jump to go, oh my God, materials, equipment, a garage lab, oh my God, you know, something bad's gonna happen. And instead sort of really trying to parse out, okay, what is becoming more easy? What is becoming more difficult? Well, what has remained difficult? Because that is the issue, for example, with the polio virus experiment, that part of the experiment that is difficult is still difficult today. Nothing over 18 years, nothing has changed to make that easier.
4: So expertise is really key here. But even the experts understand that there are legitimate security vulnerabilities with a rapidly advancing field like synthetic biology. The National Academies of Science released a major report on it, with a ranked list of threat concerns. High on the list is recreating known pathogenic viruses and making existing bacteria more dangerous. Lowest is modifying the human genome with gene drives. Some suggestions in the report involve developing detection tools and computational approaches that can better screen for any rogue engineered organisms. And this is exactly what Ginkgo Bioworks, a synthetic organism factory, is working on.
8: The goal of the Felix program is to determine whether a piece of DNA, a sequence of DNA on a computer is genetically engineered or not. IARPA has funded many different performers across the U.S. to take a crack at this problem when we're all taking very, very different approaches. You can slice these kind of signatures of engineering in a number of different ways. So some organisms are 80% AT, some are 80% GC. What this means is that if you take the DNA from different organisms and glue them together and you're counting, you know, the A's, C's, T's and G's, eventually, if you're looking at DNA that's been glued together from disparate sources, you'll see some major swing in those statistics.
4: To investigate these signatures, they're pooling together data from their own experiments into this massive database for algorithms to then do
8: what they do best. We've developed AIs that can manipulate all these different styles of genetic engineering and generate the data for us.
4: So far, they've simulated 5 million synthetic genomes as a training ground for these machine learning algorithms.
8: The main goal here is to build up a biosecurity sector along with the advance of genetic engineering so that unlike in the case of cybersecurity, uh, we're ready when threats actually emerge.
4: It's a smart way to get out front on the issue by leveraging the field's advanced tools and techniques as part of the security solution.
8: We're quizzed and tested regularly with blind samples. There are a number of testing and evaluation teams which come out of the national labs and they are genetically engineering organisms in their laboratories, sequencing them, and sending us blinded samples of all kinds of weird natural organisms, as well as genetically engineered organisms. This happens about every seven or eight months, and we have to report back to them which data sets have been engineered and which ones haven't.
4: Initiatives like this will continue to take shape as an industry forms around synthetic biology, because the technology needed to recreate and remix DNA sequences is here and resurrecting extinct viruses in synthetic form to search for new medical therapies is part of the field's own evolution. The 2002 poliovirus might've been the first synthetic virus, but it won't be the last.
1: There are so many laboratories worldwide that use materials and equipment for basic academic research, for positive, beneficial industry-related research, for clinical applications. There's not an easy point in the life sciences where you can say, well, this is weapons and it's bad, and You know, this is research and applications and it's good." And this duality goes straight to the heart of the field — to the microbes themselves.
4: There are millions of them in our world with dual use. Some can make us dangerously sick, and some can fight disease. It's a wide continuum presented to us by nature itself. And it's ultimately up to us to navigate through.